Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Sometimes we don't never want to leave the impression that we're just an individual in a crowd. You know, I promise you that God is aware that you are here. So, and even if this sounds selfish, I want you to pray and ask God to touch you, to open up your heart and your mind. And God knows that you're here. And I'm telling you, we of all people, if we believe anything, we believe that we have gathered for a reason. And it's not just to be in church. That God has something to reveal to us. That whatever it may be, that God will tell us and touch us and send us away from here with a word that he can plant in our hearts to give us strength and hope and peace. So is, is whatever's going to happen, God knows it. But it's like it's been said for so many times, it may be nothing that comes across this pulpit. But that's why I said this word is so valuable. You can read any situation we find ourselves in. That's why I said go to this word because God can take it. Well, I've had people literally tell me, it doesn't say nothing about smoking marijuana in the Bible. That's irrelevant. You go to the Bible, any situation you're in, God can give you something out of the Bible to relate to your illustration. So that's why I said the preacher may be preaching on whatever. And God can just burn a scripture in your mind that be just exactly what you need. And that's the way God will do us. But if I got my mind on next Tuesday, then guess what? Next Tuesday's going to be on my mind, not what God had for me. And I don't mean to sound harsh right at the very, very beginning, but what I mean is we've gathered with a purpose, and that's not only to magnify our God, but to hear from our God. And we believe that, I would love to say, more than anybody else. So hallelujah, let's pray. God of all, of all gods, we love you, Jesus. We love and we praise you. So I asked you right now from the very beginning, God, that you would touch us as we praise you and magnify you because you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So, Father, I ask you right now that you would touch us, helping us to open our hearts and our minds to receive of your word, Lord God. For I know, Lord God, that you have a purpose, you have a will, Lord God, that you would strengthen us, Lord God, that you would anoint us of your holy word. Touch us, Lord God. Anoint the Sunday school, Lord God. I pray that you minister and touch, Lord God. We need you. Father, we can't do this on our own. 
God, but I know with your holy anointing, Lord God, through the spirit of the Holy Ghost, God, you would strengthen us, Lord God. You would help us to keep our mind in one accord, Lord God, to hear of your word. Touch us this day, Lord God. Strengthen us, I pray. And so we magnify you because I know we are called according to your purpose. So with this I ask and this I believe in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Okay, I'll give you my title from the beginning. Uh, it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. Okay, some of my scriptures when I read, I'm going to try to read them, not for the sake of leaving you, but um, I still do it the old-fashioned way. I try to mark them in my Bible, and I try to turn to them as fast as I can to try to prevent any delay. But... Um, I'm going to go to Acts 1. I told Brother Boyd I had this feeling. I went to him last Sunday morning, and I said, this is what I'm going to speak on. And he said, guess what I'm speaking on. But believe me, this is what I've said. And someone, if I'm speaking to, I said, if God anoints you with something and you're following somebody, if they speak on the same subject God has anointed you, you get up right behind them, and you speak on what God's anointed you with. Hallelujah. Because because you're not going to use the same words and you're not going to come at the same angle that they did. But go with me to Acts 1. I'm going to read 4, Acts 1 and 4 and 5. Then being assembled, that speaking of Jesus, he, he was assembled together with them, commanded, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem but wait for the promise of the Father, saith he, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Now, what I want to do now, I'm going to Isaiah 28. What we do, um, this was done last Sunday. We pull a scripture out of something and we quote it and we go on. What what is done in doing this is the spiritual side is quoted from this. And what uh, Brother Boyd spoke, he said, with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. It's what he quoted last Sunday. That is the spiritual side that we quote from that, and then that's what we always hear. But what I want to speak and just tell you just a few moments is the ugly side of that because sin is never pretty. And the reason I do this is not just to put something ugly up. What I want to show you, the situations that we see people with all the time, it may be a situation in our life. It, God can take the ugliest thing there is and make something good come, with, come out of it. Because this is what we quote. We pull this one verse out of here, and if that's all you ever hear, you think, man, there people had it going on. No, they didn't. No, they didn't, and I'll prove to you they didn't. This was a prophecy that God took right in the middle of the most grossest sin there ever could be. And God said, I'll tell you what I will do, and that's the verse that we quote from. But there was so much more to it. Isaiah 28 and 1, he said, Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which are on the head of the fat valleys to them that are overcome with wine. He said, woe to the drunkards. Now, you don't need a commentary for that. 
you bunch of drunkards, you call yourself my people, I'm speaking to you. Now, don't never forget in the next few minutes that I'm speaking from the same chapter of the verse that we always pull out. This is the same people, and this is coming from the same place. Now, that's what he tells them. What this is is a judgment on Ephraim and, and Jerusalem of what is happening. So this is what all this ugliness is going to amount to. Verse 7, they have erred, but they also have erred through wine and through strong drink and are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. They have erred in vision, for they have stumbled in judgment. Now, literally, these are God's people that are addicted, literally, to intoxication. And God said, you ain't nothing but a bunch of drunkards. These are my people. You have took this literally to the point. Even the priest and the prophet literally was staying drunk. And he said, literally, this is it. Now, there's there where it says that they have took, they have erred in vision and they stumble in judgment. The word for vision and, drug, and judgment, when you look that up in the Hebrew, they are only used one time in Hebrew. Vision and judgment, one time each that they're used. Vision is prophetic vision. God said they're so drunk, they can't give no vision to my people. Literally, they can't do it. Now, what I would say is because they have no prophetic vision, they had no clear uh, they had no clear and concise vision of the truth. That is what led God's people astray. Do you realize what I said, what that relates to us today? If you do not have no clear revelation of this word, that is what leads people astray. I'm telling you the truth. If you don't have the revelation of Jesus Christ, where are you leading people? God said, you ain't nothing but a bunch of drunkards. You err in vision. You think you're the ones that's supposed to speak for me. You are the prophets. And if you don't have no vision, if you don't have no judgment, if you cannot give a decision, then you err. And what you're erring in, you cannot lead my people because not only you are drunk, you have led my people to be intoxicated. And God had had it. He says, you are going into judgment. Not only Ephraim, but Jerusalem too. They was going in. And don't forget, this is the same chapter that we pull this verse out of. Now, I know this is early, and there's no kind way to do this. But verse 8, For all the tables are full of vomit and filthiness, that there is no place clean. And I apologize for this, but vomit and filthiness, there's no good way to put this. But you look up filthiness. I apologize, but the Bible's the Bible. This is a drunk, intoxicated man that cannot control his own body. And I apologize for that. If you don't believe me, you look it up. God said, I have had it. You have vomited. You, have, you can't even control yourself. I'm done with you. You ain't nothing but a bunch of drunkards. But look what came out of it. Look what came out of it. Now, this is what God is telling his people through the mouth of his prophet Isaiah. God said, this is what is happening. So now, verse 9. 
then it's where it changes. Then where the drunkards wants to get a little arrogant in their attitude. So then God turns it back on them. He starts, re, he starts giving them some of their own uh, speech back to them. This is where they start to mock, and God starts telling them. This is something that they had said back to God. Now, we quote this, saying that God had originally given it. But what I think, this is what they mocked God with. And this is what God told them back. Verse 9. Whom shall teach knowledge, and whom shall make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. Now, the Hebrew women, most likely, from what I've read, would nurse their children to two years of age. That's commonly known. What they was ticked off about, they were so intoxicated, they said, how dare you compare us to children? Look, and then they said, you think we're just children? In verse 10, precept must be upon precept. Precept is a command or a commandment. And then he said, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. And then he said, line upon line. In other words, when you go out of this building and you see the brick laid, it's very easy to understand. I was a mason, so when you lay a course of brick, you lay them horizontal. When you lay that course of brick, you raise a line. So literally, God was saying to his people, precept is command upon commandment, line upon line. In other words, you learn and then you build from that. Here a little and there a little. God said, I'm not going to give you every re revelation there is just overnight. It's just not going to happen. God said, you show yourself worthy, and then I will reveal what you need. You do what you know to do, and then I will add to you here a little and there a little. And they got so arrogant, they said, oh, it's precept upon precept. They was mocking God. And God said, so that what you think it is. And God said, we will see. And then it, that's where he says, for his stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. There's two ways to look at this. You've got the physical and the spiritual. The spiritual is what we pull, but the natural side of this, God said, you have mocked me. You ain't nothing but a bunch of drunks. So I'm telling you what I'm going to do. You are going into judgment. What I'm going to do, the Chaldeans, is another dialect you claim you can't understand them. They talk like gibberish to you. So with stammering lips and another tongue, you will learn my commandments. You're going to learn them one way or the other. You won't do what the prophet said to do. So I will take you to another country and you will learn. It is commandment upon commandment, line upon line, and then precept here a little, there a little. So uh, Israel is saying, no, it shouldn't be that way. But the Chaldeans said, oh yeah, we will take you. We will teach you. And God said, you will go into judgment. This is what's never mentioned. All we hear were stammering lips on the day of Pentecost. And I got no problem with that. But what I'm saying, there is a physical side to this. And God said that it is going to be taught to my people. So it is the grossest thing that could ever happen. They are so drunk, they cannot contain themselves. And God said, this will happen, okay? 13 proves the point. But the word of the Lord was unto them, precept upon precept, 
line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they listen, that they might go and fall back, be broken, snared, and taken. They did go into captivity. They was taught by a different dialect that they was mocking and make fun of. So God did show them that I will teach you and you will not make fun of me. And it's just what you're going to do. Now, God was trying to tell them that there is a rest that would cause the weary to rest. Now, this is the rest. Verse 12, I skipped. He said that this is the rest that would cause the weary to rest. This is the refreshing, yet they would not hear because they was drunk, literally. They was drunk. They wouldn't hear it. So we know this is me. You don't have to jump on the wagon with me. I know 99% sure that they wasn't speaking about the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost hadn't been given. The spirit of reconciliation hadn't been poured out to the day of Pentecost. So what was the refreshing that they wouldn't hear was precept upon precept, line upon line. God said, if you would have took my commandments and learnt of me, this is what would have gave you rest. This would have what would have put peace in your mind. When you said you was in trouble and you was tormented and taxed and heavy, this is the refreshing that you would have found. But you would not hear. All you did was mock me. So God said, I will make you understand that there is a rest, but it's not like the one that you're choosing because you're going into judgment. And God sent them into judgment. But yet, through all of this, through all of this, look what come out of it. You go and, you're talking to somebody, their lives is truly a mess. This is just another place to tell them. The most horrible thing in the Bible. Tables is full of vomit. They can't control themselves. And God said, it's not over yet. It's not over yet. Now, in the book of Deuteronomy 9 and 10, he says, The Lord delivered unto me, Moses speaking, and the Lord delivered unto me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God, and on them was written according to all the words which the Lord spake you in the mount out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. Now, this was the law that God gave in the Exodus, in Exodus 20, when the Hebrews passed, leaving Egypt. We know that. This was the law. So God said, Moses, fixing to pull you out of the iron furnace. You're going to leave. You've got to initiate the Passover. When you do, you take the blood. You put it on the two sides, the lintel. The way I would look at that, you cover your dwelling with the blood of a lamb. When you leave, you must have your dwelling. If your dwelling is not covered by the blood of the lamb, you will die. So they leave. Now, what is unique? When they leave, that is the Passover. The verse that I just read where Moses reminds them that this, now Moses here, now I jumped Exodus. That's where he originally got the law. But go with me. He's at the Passover. Apply the blood. The blood is applied. They leave. Seven sevens. 49 days. 
the 50th day, Moses is on the mountain. The 50th day is when God handed him the law. That's Pentecost. So seven sevens. God does everything. You think I'm a, a, a numbers man. God does everything according to his word. God said seven sevens must pass. The next day, that's when God handed him the law on Mount Sinai. So that was Pentecost. That was the first original law. Okay, he handed him Jeremiah 31. Now go with me to, um, if somebody hadn't took it out of my Bible. It is Jeremiah 31 and 31. 31 and 31. Now, this is speaking of the new covenant. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, it is not that the law that God is talking about, the new covenant, it's not that the law is going to be changed. It is the placement of that law is what's going to be different because God said, I want to write this law in their inward parts. That is what's going to be unique in the placement of this law because now everything God does, you have to do it by the book, literally. If you don't, I'm telling you, it ain't us that says you're not going to make it. The Bible says you're not going to make it because on the Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the Bible says the priest went in and they had the mercy seat, okay? The, the law was in the, in the Holy of Holies. It was in the ark. So the priest took his finger, he sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat. Now, God said, I will meet with you where? Above the mercy seat. I will commune with you above the mercy seat. So when the priest sprinkled, sprinkled the blood on the top of the mercy seat, the blood was an atonement. And atonement, you look up atonement, it means covering. The blood was a covering for the law that was there. So Israel had their sins remitted for a year. Whatever they had done, God remitted. But here's my point. The, the blood had to be above the law. It had to make a covering for the law. And here's God saying, I want to put this law in your inward parts. I don't, I, I don't just don't want it to be where Israel has to go every year to the temple and go through this process. It has always been my goal to put my law in my people. That has always been, this is our desire. And I've said it like this, and, and, uh, and I believe this. When we share this gospel, the best thing we can do is just shine the light. Just shine the light on it. But only God can take and light it from the inside out. And this is what God said, I want to do. I want to put something in you. You're not just taking up something and looking at it and just reading a, a list of rules. God said, I will give you a determination. I will give you something from the inside out to give you a drive from the inside. So if I was to say, if I have the Holy Ghost and then I say that I can't do this, 
I'm selling God short. I need to be careful with my mouth because said God said, I will put my word inside of you. And then he said, I will give you the determination and the will and the drive, not only from the outside, but from the inside, I will give you strength. And that's what he wanted to do. And so we know that from the, from the day of atonement that the priest, when he went in, he sprinkled the blood and made a covering. So God would look. He was above the mercy seat. So the blood was a covering. The law demanded judgment. So what the blood did, it made a covering. So now, I want to go back to my main verse, and you'll see, you'll see my point in a minute. I just want to read it. He commanded them, you don't have to turn, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, saith he, which ye have heard of me. Now, I want to go one more place. Here again, this is something that we, we just pick one verse out, we read, and we go on. Speaking of Job, and the, that verse would be 1315, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Okay, now... In Job 13, I want to read here again. I'm in the same chapter, 13. But let's listen at Job a little bit before. In Job 13, 3, Surely I would speak to the Almighty, and I would desire to reason with God. But ye are forgers of lies. Ye are all, and listen what he tells them. Ye are all physicians of no value. So Job's just airing it out a little bit. He says, all you jokers, you want to diagnose me? And he says, you are forgers of lies. And I looked that up. And what that means, easily what we can understand it, if we had a crack in the wall and you wanted to plaster it, what it literally means, and easily you would put, like cloth over it or some tape over it and then you would plaster over it. So Job said you put one lie on top of another and then you smear something over it to hide it. So that's what Job told them they was. And then he says you diagnose me. You want to tell me how bad I am. You are a physician of no value. Your words don't do nothing to help me. You just condemn me as all you do. Is what he's telling them. Then they tell him in 13, this is what Job says, hold your peace, let me alone that I may speak and let come on me what will. Now in no way, that phrase, let come on me what will, in no way in our language, what else can go wrong? In no way do I see that as nothing like that. I see that as a man that fully persuaded in his God. He knows who he is speaking to and he tells his jokers that he just calls physicians of no value. You leave me alone that I may speak. You listen to me for a minute and let come on me what will because I know in whom my confidence is because nothing is going to happen to me that he does not permit. That's why he said, let come on me what will because God is going to allow it if it does. So he tells them, 
He says, wherefore do I, in 14, wherefore do I take my flesh in my teeth and wherefore do I, do I put my life in my hand? In other words, he's asking them a, a question. Wherefore do I put my flesh in my teeth? In other words, why would I put my life in peril? And that last phrase, we would know, we see somebody doing something foolish, they're taking their life in their own hands. So Job's asking them, you think I really did this to myself and brought this on myself, even though you're telling me I'm the one that's bad? And so here's the one that we always pull out. Oh, though he slay me, yet will I trust him, but I will maintain my own ways before him. Now, Though he slay me, that literally means what it says. Job said, literally, though he takes his flesh, he will receive my spirit. Though he kills me, in other words, he will receive my spirit. I am not worried about it, yet will I trust. Now, that word trust, I looked it up. It is not as we would think trust. It means wait, yet will I wait in him. I will wait in him. Job was saying, because what my eyes is looking at is unbelievable, but my eyes hadn't seen the rest of the story because I will maintain my ways before him. What I did yesterday, I will get up today and I will do the same thing. You physicians have accused me of doing something wrong and I'm telling you that I put my trust and my faith and I will wait in him. Now, something I discovered not just till yesterday, but it is truly, you might not find it fascinating, but I promise you, I did. Now, the one thing, that word, I will, where it says, I will maintain mine own ways before him. I do not know how the man did this, but that word, him, him. Now, one thing I learned, him, that word, him. When you look that word him up, what the um, Jewish rabbis would do, now I'm speaking in Hebrew. Old Testament was written in Hebrew. When the uh, Hebrew rabbis would want to take something and they would want to denote a whole of a substance of anything, they would take the first and the last letters of the Hebrew alphabet and contain it to the word of which they were speaking of. Now, the Hebrew, I ain't talking about the Greek. I'm talking about the Hebrew. So here it is that they would do this. They was familiar with this. So, in other words, if they were speaking of anything and they wanted to say, you know, this encompasses from the first to the last, we take the first letter, the last letter of the Hebrew, and encompass it. Now, but this is what I don't understand. This man had to have a knowledge that was beyond his time. He used the words alpha and omega. That's not even in the Old Testament. You gotta go to all the way to Revelation. It's only used in Revelation, period. And this is what, um, this is what the Bible says, and I'll, I'll read it to you, in Revelation. But this is what... I don't understand it. Job had to have it. Revelation 1.8, I am Alpha and Omega. That's what him means. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord. Listen, which is, which was, and which is to come, 
the Almighty. And here's Job, thousands of years before, saying he's going to trust in the Alpha and the Omega. I don't know how he did it, other than God just anointed him. Because, and why I believe that God in his wisdom took, when he took and he just, he anointed, when he said, God, Jehovah, I am going to reveal to you to send this to the seven churches, John. You tell them that I am the Alpha and Omega. He knew immediately that his people would understand that, the beginning and the end. It is something that they have heard for years because they was familiar with reading that in the Hebrew. So when God told them, I am Alpha and Omega, it was just common to them because they had grew up with it because of the Jewish rabbis telling them. But here's Job using this thousands of years before. I couldn't find it. I'm not saying it ain't in there. I'm just telling you I couldn't find it nowhere. But here's Job telling us, I will maintain my ways before him. I'm not changing a thing. He is the Alpha and Omega. So that's why he says, I will. Though he trusts me, I mean, I will trust him. I will wait on him. I will wait on him. And then verse 16, he has also become my salvation for a hypocrite shall not come before him. And just like to me, Job just throws one last punch. He said, let me tell you something. You say I'm a hypocrite, but I'm telling you, God would not allow a hypocrite to come before him I said what I believe, and what I believe is what I've said, that I know who God is, and I believe he did. Now, I'm going back to Acts 1. This time I'm going to read Acts 1 and 3. Now, to whom he also showed himself above, this is the Lord, after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, how many, how many people do you think the Lord ministered to when he is on the earth? The Bible tells us of all the people that the Lord ministered to, those that he fed, all the ones he raised from the dead and just those he healed, but this was after the resurrection. You know, it seems like to me that here if the Lord had done all these works and all these miracles, and then after it was voiced that the Lord had been, his life had been taken. And then, you know, it's what I would say after God had resurrected his body, and then they would say to them, they would say Jesus is rose from the dead, but I wouldn't say that. He, wrote, he resurrected his body. But nevertheless, Jesus is alive, so to me, he would draw thousands again. But seemingly, he didn't. And this is what I don't understand. He is with his disciples and others, for the Bible tells us there's only 120. The verse that I've read, where he commanded them, you go to Jerusalem, you stay there. You go to the upper room. There's only 120 stays there. But the Bible even tells him, he says, when he went up, the Bible says, he speaks to him and says, you men of Galilee. 
So I'm, I, I, I mean, I'm curious about things. You know, some says, you know, it's the distance. Well, I said, well, man, I want to know. So from, um, he said, you go to Jerusalem to Galilee, 68 miles. But he's speaking. He says, ye men of Galilee. So I know there was people there from Galilee. So my point is, is where was the people? The thousands that had their flesh filled. It just seemed like to me it would be unbelievable. It would just be like you couldn't even get close to him. Not only had he done all these miracles, but my goodness, he's alive again. My Lord, he's rose himself from the dead. And now he's back. What, what's he going to do now? And God has told them, and he said, and four, being assembled together with them, commanded them, he says, don't you leave Jerusalem. Do not leave. He said, but wait for the promise of the Father, saith he, ye have heard of me. You've heard of me. Now, being assembled together, there's two, word, there's two phrases in there that's only one time in the Bible. And the first one in the Bible, in verse 4, if you would put that on there, Acts 1 and 4. And it says, and being assembled together. That phrase right there, is used only one time, and it's in this verse. Now, how many times do you think they had assembled? I would say hundreds, but this time it was different. I'm, I'm not a Greek man, but I'm telling you, being assembled together one time, one time in the Bible, that phrase is used. The Greek word for that is used one time, being assembled together. The other word that's only used one time is wait. But wait for the promise. Wait is used one time. So don't you leave. I know what you've heard. I know what you've heard. But don't you leave. This time, this time is going to be different. So he tells them, you can't leave. Don't leave. Don't leave. Don't leave. Because this time, this time, and you know, my point is this. They had seen all of this. They had emotions. There's no way to count. It was be off each end of the chart of what his disciples probably went through. They had seen the Lord, everything he went through, and now the Lord's, alive again and now God's telling them look you go to Jerusalem you stay there don't you leave and, and I don't know if they had put it together that you know Pentecost is coming I don't know but God said you must stay there you must tarry there so seven sevens has to has to come and go before the 50th day before we hear the sound of a rushing mighty wind because said, when that happens, when that happens, I'm going to fulfill Jeremiah 31, 33. I'm going to put my word. I'm going to put my word in my people. So, it's not that just as God said to Isaiah, my people will learn a lesson. They will learn where the rest comes from. They will. And here's the thing. 
God said to those that followed Nimrod, and you will learn what I can do. You build a tower and rebel against me. I'll show you that I'll use the tongue and I will confuse your efforts. And God said, I'll show you what else through the mouth of Isaiah. You rebel against me, I'll just do the opposite. I'll show you what I'll do. I'll take my church and through the tongue, I will unite my church. And with stammering lips and another tongue, will I fulfill Jeremiah 31, 33. And that is exactly because he said, with afflictions, calamities, and distress, when they come against us, God said, my word, which I've put in you, that is going to be the rest that's going to cause the weary to rest. And that's exactly what God did. Now, one thing, one thing, that um, and I told Brother Boyd, I said, you you mentioned this. I said, but I wanna I, I I wanna speak on it. He mentioned he just mentioned this verse in passing, but as I would say this in just human language, in Matthew four four, this is in just sheer human terms, this is literally the first fight that the Lord had with the enemy. So this is literally the first fighting words that our God spoke, and they was to the enemy. And they was what, this is what God said. Remember, he went in the wilderness, he came out of the wilderness, the enemy attacked him, and he answered in four says, and he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, this was not New Testament words. What God did is he went back, the Jehovah Spirit that inhabited Jesus Christ. This was said 1,400 years ago through the mouth of Moses to the Israelites. Go back and look in Deuteronomy when Moses is giving a farewell address. He said, I took you out of the iron furnace and when I fed you with manna, you must realize man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. What the devil did not realize is God, I think, in prophetic words was telling the enemy, what I'm going to do on the day of Pentecost is I'm going to plant this holy word in every believer that accepts me. So when he takes and he reveals himself to us, when he said, man shall not live, this is not about the physical, but it is all about the spiritual. And get this, the enemy is going to attack you where you are the weakest. Our God had fasted for 40 days, so we offered him bread. The enemy knows where we are weak, so that's where he's going to attack us. But God gave us a principle. It is through this word that's embedded in us that we can rebuke the enemy. God gave us the principle. He said, by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God would I plant in my people. And that's exactly what I believe God did. He not only gave us his spirit. For when we tell individuals that you receive the Holy Ghost, don't sell this short. God said, I will plant my word in you. I will give you this word. That has always been his desire and his will is to fulfill that, to give his word and to do that. Now, one thing, one thing for sure. Now, 
I've said all that, and let me say this. One thing, when we take, that's why I said it's very critical. God does things in order. When, he, when the priest went into the Holy of Holies one day, remember, he sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat. It was for a covering. If you have the Holy Ghost and you, and you are not baptized, listen to me. If you're speaking to someone, this is important. If you have the Holy Ghost and you hadn't been baptized in Jesus' name, you have the law, but you have no covering. God said, you need to marry me. Take my name because you have my law, but you have no blood covering. God says you need a blood covering. I will put my law in you, but you still need a covering. God said, I'm going to plant my word in you, but put the blood of Jesus Christ. When you take my name, I will symbolically apply the blood of Jesus Christ and the blood will cover the law that demands judgment. The Bible says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, meaning the atoning blood of Jesus Christ that was dead at Calvary. Therefore, we have the blood of Jesus Christ that covers the law inside of us that demands judgment, God said, for the remission, for the forgiveness of sins that he gave unto us. So therefore, we have this done to us. One last thing, and I'll quit. Now, the Bible says, this is a thought that I want to leave with you. He said in this, now, if you're praying, if you're praying for something, if God, have gave, if God has gave you something, authored something in you, and you hadn't seen the fulfillment of it, please give me your attention Because this is what God gave me. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not part from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, saith he, which ye have heard of me. How many people, how many of the 120 do you think saw the veil of the temple that was ripped? The Bible says it was the width of a man's hand. Took 300 priests to wash it. It was so massive. But they had sense enough to know. We know what Joel said. He's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. But that's why God told him, though your eyes have seen that the holy of holies has been revealed, don't you leave Jerusalem. You might feel that you've seen the veil, you've seen the Holy of Holies. But God said, don't you leave what I have told you to do. You go to Jerusalem and you tarry there. And that's why I've named this, it's just a matter of time. Because God will never go back on his word, never. He told his people, you go to Jerusalem and don't you leave. I know your eyes have seen this veil. Your eyes has never beheld the holy of holies before. And now you are looking at something you have never beheld. And they think, you know what? We've seen it. We've never seen this before. And now why don't we just go? But God said, no, you can't. You must wait. One time it's used. Don't leave. 
do what you know to do. Do like Job. I will maintain my ways before him. I will get up and I know what to do. God said, you cannot leave Jerusalem because seven sevens will be fulfilled and the Pentecost is coming. I'm telling you, if he authored it, it's just a matter of time. Don't let the enemy persuade you any other way because God will not let you down. His word is true and he is faithful. I promise you, there's too many illustrations in this word. He planted this word in us to give us a determination like we have never had before. He gave us his spirit. He covered us with his blood. He gave us his name. And if he authored it, it's just a matter of time. Hallelujah. God bless you. Let's stand. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.